0: Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. This podcast is sponsored by TheraWorks Relief. Many of you get sore, achy legs from standing all day or get asked about painful foot and leg cramps. If so, you're going to want to hear about TheraWorks Relief, a clinically proven topical foam that prevents and relieves muscle cramps and soreness. Learn more at theraworksrelief.com. In this episode, you'll hear from a healthcare leader who is a recognized expert in the 340B program. Chris Hatwig serves as president of Apexis, which is the prime vendor program for the 340B program. Chris has kept taking opportunities which have led to his long success as a right, so today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast, Chris Hatwig. Chris Hatwig serves as the president of Apexis, which is the prime vendor program for the 340B program. He was recently honored with the Distinguished Leadership Award for Excellence in Pharmacy Practice Leadership in Acute and Ambulatory Care Settings from the American Society of Health System Pharmacists Board of Directors. And he is one of the nation's foremost experts on the 340B drug pricing program and for having an exceptional record of national prominence, leading innovative and progressive pharmacy services in acute and ambulatory care settings. Chris, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast.
1: Thank you, Hillary. Good morning.
0: Well, now that our listeners have heard a little bit about your background, maybe you can fill in any gaps from that intro, and maybe share a little bit about your personal life.
1: Okay, a little on the on the personal life front, um, I would say. Uh, well, let me start with uh, uh, married uh, my wife uh, to my wife uh, Kathy for thirty years, and we've lived in Texas for most of those years. We have two daughters that have recently graduated so I recently got a raise. Uh, Morgan, our oldest, is a nurse at Parkland in their ER on midnight shift, and then our youngest daughter, Reagan, has a psych degree and is on her way to graduate school for an additional degree. We'll see if that's a master's or a a PhD. And then uh, a little more background on myself uh, related to pharmacy. I'm a I graduated undergrad University of Arkansas and then went on to the University of Wisconsin to complete uh, an advanced administrative residency and general clinical residency and receive my master's there. And out of the residency program, my first position was at Parkland Health and Hospital System, which is which was a great experience to give me my initial exposure to the 340B program.
0: All right. So Thanks for sharing a little bit more uh, background. And so, Chris, we first met when I was interning at HRSA's Office of Pharmacy Affairs. And at that time, you were leading Apexis, um, which is the prime vendor program for 340B entities. And you've been there since about 2004. Tell us a little bit more about um, your path to become an expert in the 340B space.
1: Well, my experience or uh, my pathway, again, going back to Parkland, Parkland was my first position out of my residency program, walked in uh, to that organization. Uh, My first position was as an inpatient manager, uh, but anyone that knows about Parkland, Parkland's a large uh, ambulatory care system. Uh, They're a safety net provider in North Texas, and about that time, Parkland was going through a major expansion to uh, improve access to affordable care for the underserved, which is a key part of their mission. And I happened to be fortunate to be there at the time and uh, work with some great pharmacy leaders, uh, Jimmy Heyman, Vicki Crane, and others. And uh, so I was actually recruited to move over to the ambulatory care side and start to expand and grow their ambulatory care programs. Also, I worked uh, closely with Robert Scholes, who was uh, my direct supervisor there. So we had a lot of great leaders there. Uh, and it was a wonderful environment for pharmacy as far as expansion goes. And uh, in that program, working together as a team, we were able to build out the ambulatory pharmacy programs uh, within Parkland. We expanded uh, clinical pharmacy practice and moved uh, advanced trained clinical specialists into the ambulatory clinics. Uh, They had prescriptive authority. We also had built a mail order pharmacy, an FDA repackaging facility, a major ambulatory care uh, network, and then actually built community-based clinics and had pharmacies located throughout the county to improve access to care for the underserved. So we had a a very vast network uh, for the pharmacy program, and we grew uh, from one pharmacy to over 15 pharmacies. And we were at the end of at the end of the day, we were filling about two million prescriptions a year uh, or a little over 10,000 prescriptions a day within the health system. So it was a very advanced program.
0: Wow. Yeah, that is. And, you know, even even now um, we're seeing. Other health systems that are looking to do kind of what you guys did many years ago is to expand the role of the pharmacist and in, in incorporating more pharmacists in the ambulatory setting. Um, I even was seeing um, APHA, some of the the uh, listserves were saying, "How do you, you know, support the business case for pharmacists in the ambulatory setting?" And there's there's just so much evidence for that and you know, looking to innovators like Parkland and like um, your team had, had developed um, were really helped to pave the way um, for that. So thanks for, for being that, those innovators.
1: Yeah. Let me, I would just mention, uh, you know, again, the other person that should be mentioned is Dr. Ron Anderson, who was the CEO of the organization. Um, He was a visionary and, uh, you know, Parkland's mission was special. And, What's unique about Parkland and the 340B program that many may not know or be aware of is that actually Parkland's leaders testified before Congress to help get the 340B legislation approved. So I was fortunate enough to be in that setting and getting exposure uh, at the very onset of the 340B program. So I've been involved with the 340B program uh, actually my entire career, Parkland was one of the first hospitals. Not only did they uh, testify and help get the legislation approved, but then it was our job to be one of the first hospitals to actually implement implement the program and then uh, share best practices with others on how to go about doing that and, to, uh, and uh, to actually, you know, optimize the program.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's helpful. And it's always interesting to see pharmacists that are in unique areas of practice. Um, Well, first, could you tell some of our listeners who may not be familiar with 340B what that is? And then second, you know, what is involved in your role as president at Apexis and and how um, Apexis serves the 340B entities?
1: Sure. Uh, Well, first of all, the 340B program is one of uh, several federal drug pricing programs available in the country. It's very closely associated with with the Medicaid program and it's discounts and what's unique about it is uh there are statutory formulas or discounts that manufacturers are obligated to offer to the eligible entities that qualify for the program and uh you know that's what's very unique especially when you consider how drug prices are escalating in the country today so it's based off of uh pricing formulas uh And based on what pricing that the manufacturers offer in the free market, ultimately the formulas dictate what they have to offer to the eligible entities. And these discounts are quite significant. They can be in the range of 50% or greater over over list pricing in the marketplace. So a manufacturer also must offer the pricing on a, a covered outpatient drug if their drug is covered by the Medicaid program and reimbursed by Medicaid. So those—that's what's—that's the basics on the 340B program itself, and then the covered entities, as we call them, are the hospitals and el- the eligible hospitals and clinics that qualify. Any HERSA grantee uh, that has grants with the with the government is eligible for the program if they apply. And then with hospitals, they have you other unique requirements depending on on the type of hospital you're talking about. Uh, Disproportionate share hospital must have an 11.75% dish adjustment percentage, which takes into account their inpatient Medicaid and, and Medicare days. So that's how they qualify for the program. And the government uh, agency, HRSA, actually qualifies and enlists the members into a database so that they're eligible. And Apexis, uh, my responsibilities as Apexis at Apexis is one of those primary responsibilities is managing the 340B prime vendor for Horsa. And uh, we've been in that role, as you mentioned, since 2004 when we first met around that time. Uh, and what this program is, is we're a contractor for the federal government to actually secure steeper discounts. So the eligible entities in the 340B program are accessing the ceiling prices, the statutory ceiling prices in the program. But Apexis serves as an aggregator of all the purchases of the eligible entities, and we're voluntary. First of all, the prime vendor is voluntary, so the members or the eligible entities must enroll, and then they'll get access to a uh, portfolio of even steeper discounts that we have negotiated with manufacturers on behalf of all the entities. So we're leveraging their business to secure additional discounts. So that's one of the functions that we perform is negotiation of discounts on pharmaceuticals, and at this point, we're delivering a little over a billion dollars in uh, additional discounts for all the entities. And there's a little over 35,000 uh, 340B entities that are in the program currently. The other areas of focus that we have with the program and working as a partner with HRSA is on 340B university education and training programs, where we've trained over 30,000 stakeholders uh, with our live and online programs that we have available through the Apexis program. And then last but not least is we also function as the National Apexis Answers Call Center. So uh, we're receiving about 20,000 calls, uh, or, or sorry, about 20,000 calls a year now through that program. And so we're the first line of defense. Or, and when you're trying to reach HRSA about details with the program, you will be calling the Apexis Answers Call Center. And we're walking people through uh, the very sim- simple questions, maybe around certification to the most complex questions, where we may have to uh, to get HERSA engaged to work through a, a very complex scenario. So those are the that's kind of the scope of what the Apexis Prime Vendor Program uh, is doing today.
0: Yeah, thank you. That's very helpful. And and some of the those uh, initiatives are a bit newer. Um, the Ask Apexis and and really getting some of those field uh, consultants who are able to go out and, um, you know, visit on site with some of the covered entities to really provide more consulting services, because it is a very complex program. And uh, it's great that there are experts and resources available. And then, of course, the 340B University that you provide is uh, what about twenty plus different modules, or, or so, somewhere around that? Right. You, you could probably speak to that better, but um, it's it's a great um, training for any uh, you know member of an organiz- covered entity organization that's going to be involved in the program. Um, I would highly recommend that they um, take that training so that they're up to date on on all of the regulations and and different nuances.
1: Yes, uh, you're right. Uh, we have the on-demand program, which has a little over 30 modules. And then we also have created an, uh, an advanced certificate program. It's probably the most advanced training in the marketplace for 340B. And we created this to deal with the most complex situations that uh, members encounter, the covered entities encounter, but also to create kind of a litmus test to uh for for consultants in the marketplace as well um, many of the health systems have a 340b program specialist on staff someone that's either a pharmacist or technician specializing in 340b and we encourage them to take the certification but also we're encouraging uh any consultant working in the space as a litmus test to take the uh to take the certification as well as part of their credentials. Uh, you know, just to, to validate that they have expertise
0: in the space. Sure. So, Chris, we're in between the the 340B summer and, and winter meetings. Um, two times a year, all of the covered entities can gather. And, um, and even uh, 340B is such a hot topic right now. I know that um, HHS Secretary Azar even came in to make a speech at the summer meeting in D.C. So, there are a lot of changes happening um, with the program. Can you share, um, you know, you know, what are some of the things that, um, that that are happening in in the three hundred and forty B world? Yeah.
1: Well, it, so there are some changes, obviously, that are going on. Uh, one, uh, you've probably seen. Well, well, let's just talk about you know this, the current administration um, is very concerned and has raised or has uh, you know, put a lot of emphasis on lowering drug prices, which is a good thing, uh, I would say. Uh, unfortunately, there's been some association with escalating drug prices tied to the 340B program. Uh, for example, some, some opponents of the program would argue that uh, the discounts in 340B is causing uh, shifting of pricing and it's causing the, you know, for example, uh, some manufacturers may claim, or, or the industry may claim, they're having to charge other markets higher prices due to to subsidize the 340B program. So there's a lot of activity around that. Obviously, the um, the Trump blueprint on drug pricing was placed out there, and they had a you know they they had an RFI, and there were all kinds of comments placed. Are uh, provided on that, and and suggestions for multiple stakeholders in the market. Many of the much of the feedback uh, on the blueprint was uh, opposing the 340B program in some way. We've had uh, obviously there's over 15 different bills that have been drafted in some way or another related to the 340B program. Uh, so there's a lot of legislative activity going on now. Is there actually anything? uh, that's changed. Yeah. There's a few things that have changed. Uh, for example, the OPPS rule. So this administration had, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, Secretary Azar's speech at the coalition meeting. Well, he gave a stern warning. Uh, if you were at that meeting, it was for, for the attendees. If you were a covered entity, it was, or a, especially a hospital covered entity, uh, He was very direct in giving a stern warning that there were changes coming. And exactly what that meant, uh, we weren't all sure, uh, but but they did lay the gauntlet down that there were going to be changes coming. Uh, Some of the things, we're not seeing change legislative-wise right now, and I wouldn't expect that to change with the current makeup of the House and the Senate. But with this administration, at least where they do have controls, in, in issuing regulations or uh, rulemaking in some way, uh, they will make changes uh, to impact the program. One of those examples is the OPPS rule, where we saw reimbursement for the 340B hospitals drop nearly 30% on the outpatient Medicare reimbursement. Um, the concerns with that is, uh, you know, it certainly was a a hit on the uh, savings or the revenue that the health systems retain and reinvest in their you know in their operations to support their mission, uh, which is you know what any 340B entity would argue is the purpose of the 340B uh, margins or, or savings. Uh, but the concern is, is that other private payers will follow suit. Also uh, since that time, since the OPPS rule, you've seen the, a lawsuit filed, Uh, It was filed uh, and then it was refiled uh, a second time uh, by some of the trade associations that represent the hospitals. So we'll have to see how that plays out. And um, then there's additional proposed cuts that are also supposed to go into place in 2019 related to the hospitals and their offsite facilities. So there's some uh, major changes that have gone on. We continue to see, you know, again, having one of the advantages of having the Apexis Answers Call Center is we do have our finger on the pulse of the 340B marketplace and the stakeholders. And, and uh, we're also seeing discriminatory reimbursement in other areas with the covered entities where, uh, you know, the margins or the savings is being uh, either it might even be a state Medicaid program in a particular state, and it could or it could be commercial payers in another area. Uh, so we're seeing that type of activity going on. And then lastly, what I would mention as far as change or activity out there is greater need for transparency in the program overall by all stakeholders. And more recently, the American Hospital Association came out with uh, their stewardship principles for 340B for their member hospitals, where they want to, to make some data transparent around program savings and how the savings is being used with the program to meet the original intent. And that's receiving some mixed, uh, responses from the membership. So we'll see how that plays out. In general, uh, we support transparency, uh, you know, certainly to show how the program is being used within its, within the intent of the program. But we do not, uh, recommend, uh, you know, making too much data transparent, transparent that it would allow a payer to disadvantage a covered entity in reimbursement. So that's kind of our position on that is, uh, you know, we think some transparency is a good thing for the program. And certainly with the things that we do within the prime vendor program, all the work that we do is fully transparent. And then the other thing I've mentioned is we do not advocate. We're not an advocate for or against the program. We're working with all the staker- stakeholders as a neutral third party to bring everybody together, to see the program efficient, uh, be be managed more efficiently and to improve overall program integrity. That's what we're all about.
0: Yeah, thank you. That's helpful to, to understand because it is um, easy to get confused with, you know, who's doing the advocacy and not and and to be very clear about um you know the roles of of Apexis. Um, there there has been a lot of of new things. I even saw um, here recently some of the state Medicaid programs asking for um, prices from their covered entities so that they could uh, they could could negotiate prices for the other drugs that are not being. Um, uh, part of that list. So, there is just a lot of uh, happening out there, which will be interesting to see what happens. Um, So, speaking of all these changes, how do you stay current with what's going on in healthcare and more specifically within the pharmacy field?
1: Okay. So, as far as staying current, uh, what I I tend to do in staying current, first of all, keep in mind, I, I worked at the hospital at Parkland Health and Hospital System and Obviously, when when you're in the trenches every day, you have a good, uh, you know, you have a good feel for what's going on. Uh, But when you move into the corporate world like I am now, uh, the longer, you know, the minute you move into that corporate world, uh, you become detached. And so you've got to do something extra to stay in touch. And so what I try to do is, first of all, is I have a vast network. I'm very, I'm very good at networking. I have to network as part of my job. And so I spend a lot of time networking, attending national meetings. I also, uh, do site visits. I'll visit with customers and, uh, learn about, uh, you know, basically we'll always talk to them about what, the, what, what's keeping them up at night? What are their major pain points? So those are the types of things that I do to stay current. Obviously, I depend on my uh, professional organizations. Uh, I'm very closely, I work very closely with ASHP leadership on a lot of different activities. For example, uh, we're, we're developing a specialty pharmacy program currently, which is outside the scope of the 340B program. It's a totally different program that we're managing. Um, and there are firewalls between the programs, but we're working very closely in trying to uh, address the membership's needs or health system's needs in that space because uh, they're having increased challenges with getting access to limited distribution drugs and then also being, uh, with being allowed within the payer networks, which are two key barriers in order for the, the health systems to be able to retain and actually care for their patients. So that's a, an interesting challenge that we're trying to solve for today with a free market solution. And we work with a lot of different stakeholders to do that.
0: Yeah, um, that's helpful to, to know. And so, what are some of the things that excite you about the future of pharmacy?
1: I'd say, uh, well, a couple of things. Well, there's a number of things in pharmacy that excite me. Uh, and I have to, you know, it's like uh, chasing squirrels sometimes. So, I have to, you know, my, especially my team says, hey, we need focus, we need focus, we can't do everything. Um, and, and so one of the things that I think is very interesting and it's a challenge for all of us is obviously uh, the current pathway that we're on with escalating drug prices is not sustainable in the country. So, you know, I think the market is ready for some major disruption. And I'm trying to position Apexis, and I personally want to be a part of that. Uh, of that shakeup. We want to be able to um, make a difference in lowering drug prices. This might be through working with biosimilars and improving the adoption of biosimilars in the country, and it could be through other programs. So I think uh, one of the things that's exciting is the fact that we have a major problem and it's right in our wheelhouse and it's escalating drug prices. And I can't think of a better opportunity for pharmacists to step up and make a difference. Now, I'd also say, secondly, I think that pharmacists are underutilized and have not reached their full potential in the healthcare system. I think our best times are ahead. Now, this may be more for the next generation, but it's also exciting to see the opportunities that we have ahead of us. And, um, and I, I feel like I'm a good example of this on how many of these opportunities may not fall into actual, or it may fall actually in non traditional roles outside the health systems. So there's an unlimited number of possibilities out there for uh, the next generation of pharmacists and for some of those still that are, uh, you know, working at those challenges.
0: Absolutely. And so, Chris, is our final question, what is some advice that you would tell your younger self or for other pharmacists out there who are just getting started in their career?
1: Okay, I'd say... uh, this, how this uh, for when I think back on this question, um, <clears throat> I would say be careful and not get set in your ways or become too comfortable in your role. Things are changing so fast in the marketplace, and and you've got to be adaptable. You need to be ready to jump on that next opportunity, and that's kind of what I've been able to do in my career. Uh, not only having good mentors and, and, and peers and all, but, but uh, it seems like when I've, uh, you know, come to a fork in the road, sometimes I've had to take a different path and it, and it's always benefited me. So um, I would say uh, I would, uh, when I think about uh, when I got out of my advanced, good example of this, when I got out of my advanced residency program, I was Pretty fixed on exactly what I wanted to do within the health system, and I never saw myself working in the ambulatory care setting. Number one, and that opportunity came to me almost a year after starting my my uh, position at Parkland, and it was a huge opportunity. It was where all the growth was, and I jumped on it, and and it's been very rewarding, and there's no looking back. So. I don't typically look back. I, I'd say throw throw away the rearview mirrors and just keep blazing forward, uh, blazing a new path. So that's, that's one thing I would say or suggest. The other is uh, be passionate. I'm very passionate about my work and resilient in my work. And there are many times where I've been either told no or I don't get the support that I'm always looking for. Uh, but I don't usually take no for an answer. I go back and, and I'll uh, basically uh, try a different approach if I feel strongly about it. And uh, so what I would say is be prepared to learn and adapt if you're passionate about what you're working on. And i found a great success in doing that.
0: Being passionate is, is certainly a good thing and, and helps with uh, preventing burnout, too. So you mentioned yes. resiliency. Well, Chris, it has been such a pleasure having you as a guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, I appreciate
1: being part of the program.
0: And now back to our sponsor, TheraWorks Relief, which I've recommended to family and friends and patients to help with their muscle cramps. It has a non greasy feel and a light green apple scent. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the show notes at www.pharmacyadvisory.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast